From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Radio Hour as we launch our 24th year on the air. And thanks to to all of our great supporters, our great underwriters, and especially you, the listeners, and also uh, all the wonderful guests that we've had uh, over the years. It's been a real labor of love, and uh, just just enjoy talking with all of you, and we'd, we'd love to hear from you if you uh, have a, a, a project going in, on in, in your community or in your parish, maybe at your school, maybe you got a, a student doing something in the community. Uh, give us give us a shout. Go to uh, scd.org, Sacramento Catholic Diocese, and look up the Bishop's Hour and contact information for our producer, Gabe Sorensen, and for myself. We'll be right there, and feel free to give us a call or drop us an email, and uh, maybe you have a particular ministry in your parish or a, a parish festival coming up, something like that, or a project that you think... Uh, uh, other people would would benefit from hearing about, or maybe want to want to attend, uh, and uh, just uh, give us a shout. Uh, we we like to keep our our fingers on the pulse of everybody uh, here, but there are uh, over a hundred parishes in this diocese, and so we we uh, we miss it unless somebody uh, notifies us about it. So greatly appreciate that. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, and we are glad to welcome in Rabbi Seth. Kesselman, who is the head of the wonderful new, relatively new, I guess not new anymore, Exodus Project here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Rabbi, good day to you. Good day to you, Bob. Always wonderful to hear your voice and be in conversation with you. Yes, you too, you too. Uh, tell us, uh, what, what, just a, a, a quick overview for maybe people who have not heard you before or don't know about this, um, uh, about the Exodus Project. Thank you. Exodus Project has been around for four years. We're a program of St. Vincent de Paul in collaboration with the diocese, uh, and it was really the, the vision and the generosity of Bishop Soto uh, that sort of was the impetus behind Exodus Project. Mm-hmm. There are some 25 or 30,000 people in the diocese incarcerated on any given day, wow. and while the diocese has been doing quite a lot of detention ministry over the years, um, going into prisons and going into jails and offering mass and offering spiritual support and such, there became the understanding that in some ways the most important day was the day that people got out and the day that they reached the gate and then had nothing often to come back to. And it took about a two-year planning process, and then we've been in, in, um, in business, so to speak, for four years now. And it started off as a mentoring program, and it's still at the core a mentoring program, which matches... Uh, men and women with the same gender, uh, people who are incarcerated, and then for about six months post-release to offer encouragement, coaching, um, sort of a sponsor, a cheerleader, uh, spiritual accompaniment. Um, But then as we found, we needed to offer more social services as well. As people came out and were like, well, I like the idea of a a mentor, but what I really need is a job, or what I really need is a roof over my head so that I'm not sleeping under a bridge. So Exodus Project now offers employment services, transitional and emergency housing, uh, food, clothing, uh, counseling, um, all sorts of wraparound services to accompany uh, the, the participants who are coming out of prison and jail, along with the along with the mentoring program. Was this something that was in your background, prison ministry? I had done quite a bit uh, in the early two, in the late 1990s and mm-hmm. early 2000s, um, working in juvenile halls and then in, in state prisons in New York and then in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been something very near and dear to my heart. So when Richard Fowler, Rich Fowler from the diocese, who was running detention ministries at the time, approached me about helping, I was uh, very enthusiastic and excited to, to get involved. Uh, they say for, for clergy and for spiritual teachers, what we're really longing for is a, is a sincere student. And I, I honestly believe that there are more people waking up to God and to truth and to mm-hmm. a righteous life in prison today in America than in parishes and churches and synagogues and mosques and, and temples, just because it's suffering often that pushes people to to embrace a change. 
Indeed, it does. I, I know there there are a lot of chaplains from from various faiths. Uh, all of them welcome in the in the prisons. Are there prison chaplains who are actually employed by Department of Corrections as well? Yes. So it's a combination of paid staff and then volunteer chaplains that mm-hmm. come in. So all prisons are supposed to have uh, paid chaplains uh, of the different denominations, and then they have plenty of volunteer ones, or they have many volunteer ones. They can always use more uh, that are both clergy and also lay people uh, that go into the prisons and jails. And that's based on uh, First Amendment freedom of religion that we may may exactly yeah may take your you know freedom of movement away from you, but we we're not going to deny you your freedom of religion. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yep. Yeah. So you have a, a couple of great events. Sound like great events to me uh, uh, coming up. Uh, one tonight, Thursday, October thirteen, uh, at. Uh, uh, St. Anthony's Parish on, on Florin Road, uh, a, a part, film, and discussion. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So it's a documentary film that follows three women with four children who collectively did, they collectively have, in their different lives, they have four children, and they did 18 years in prison in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it follows these three different women, uh, all incarcerated for drug addiction, for, for drug use. One was a soccer mom who had a car accident, I believe it was, uh, and then took painkillers, and then it turned into an addiction, and it turned into illicit drugs. And so it follows these three women through their lives as they try to maintain their family life in prison and then coming out and returning and the difficult transition back. But it also sort of reflects the story of mass incarceration, uh, specifically the incarceration of women, and specifically the incarceration of people with, with addiction and who struggle with that illness. So we're having the film at 7 o'clock tonight uh, at St. Anthony's Parish, and then uh, a couple of our mentors, uh, women who actually were incarcerated themselves and now are our mentors, will be talking about their personal experiences after the film. Uh, Snacks will be included. Uh, We'll have popcorn and drinks and such like that as well, and we hope that we're co-sponsoring it with St. Anthony's Parish, and we hope that many of your listeners will be able to attend. Very good. And St. Anthony's is at 660 Florin Road. You know, years ago uh, in college, I, I took a class where we would visit the, the prisons, uh, the prisons specifically in Vacaville, and did um, just rudimentary legal counseling. We weren't lawyers, you know, and, and uh, but we would get information from from them and maybe go to the library and try to look things up and and see if there was you know something that uh, uh, could 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 help these people and it was all voluntary on the, the part of uh, anybody in the prison but I, as as a part of that we we got to look at the rap sheet with with the with their permission of course uh, look at their rap sheet why they were in there and almost I was stunned uh, I was you know a young man at the time in college, I was stunned at how many of them the first offense was a drug offense. Yeah. And it just yeah. escalated from there to holding up a seven eleven for twenty bucks, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and pretty soon they're committing the crimes that socked them away for a long time. Addiction and mental illness yeah. combine to uh to facilitate the majority of people's crimes and and uh, incarceration, uh, if we could fix those two problems, we would empty out the prisons. Wow, that's quite a statement. That's that's amazing. You know, and I well, what what, what was I reading uh, today? Um, it was a it was a promo for for the film. Since 1980, the number of women in prison has grown by 800 percent. That's just yeah. mind mind blowing. <laughs> yep. Wow. So, when people are in prison, is there is there good help in terms of addiction? Well, I mean, more or less. Um, you know, theoretically, they're not able to get their drug of choice while in prison or jail. But as we know, certain amounts are smuggled in or produced even inside. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, there is recovery groups going on in prisons and jails. Some of our mentors go into uh, the Sacramento jails and provide uh, 
recovery groups. Um, so relatively speaking, it's easier to stay sober while incarcerated than it is, of course, sure. uh, in the community. Um, the opportunity is much greater out here, the, the, the stressors, the, um, the means. So while some people are still using inside, many are, are sober inside. Uh, the trick is keeping them sober once they come back. I mean, you see if people try to break addiction, uh, people that are not incarcerated by, by you know, going to, uh, you know, residential facilities where it's 24-7 working on their addiction. I can't imagine that that kind of uh, attention is paid to it, though, in the prisons. No, certainly not. And even when they get out, we often will help them through the process of going through the county to get what's called a SEPT substance use prevention treatment mm-hmm. um, assessment, an AOD, alcohol and other drug assessment. But even if they're assessed to need that level of residential care, the wait list is so long, yep. they're often waiting weeks or months um, to get into treatment. And certainly they're not getting that level of treatment inside prison. Is that one of the, the, the main fears that they're going to go right back to drug use? So people that you work with with the Exodus Project? Drug use is a huge uh, impediment to their uh, to people's return, mm-hmm. and a lot of people come out and say, "I really want to stay sober," and they're sincere about it. Um, but it's a it's a difficult thing to, to break. It's a difficult thing to, to stay away from, um, or they'll stay away from it for a while, and then they'll flip up, and then we try to help them get back on the you know on the path again uh, without judgment and without uh, chastisement. Um, but but addiction is it's a it's a terrible monkey to have on your back. Yeah, indeed, uh, Rabbi. With then on the twenty second, uh, your annual Exodus Project fundraiser. Yes, we're having a fundraiser. Uh, we need to raise the funds to run this program, uh, to provide these services to help uh, the safety and well being of our communities. Uh, those that are interested, it's. Um, can reach out to us at Exodus Project. Um, you can find our contact information on the diocese website, scd.org, or you can go to exodus-project.org, uh, exodus and then a dash and then the word project.org, or you can call us directly at 916-669-0611, and we'd be happy to invite you to our annual fundraiser, which will be on Saturday, October 22nd. Very good. And uh, Bishop Soto and you and Joe Alves, the president of uh, the uh, Society of uh, St. Vincent de Paul, will we'll be there uh, to welcome everyone. Absolutely. And Bishop Soto will be giving us some words of wisdom. Which are always much appreciated. I, I, I think the man has perfected bilocation because <laughs> I will... Sometimes I'll be in an, at, at an event and uh, the bishop will be there and he'll speak or, you know, maybe give the opening prayer or maybe be the keynote speaker. And the next day I'll pick up the Sacramento Bee or another paper and see his picture and he's at some other event. And I'm going, how, uh-huh. how did that happen? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Yes, he is a very busy man. Yes, he is. And uh, we're, we're, we're lucky to have him. So are you looking for, for volunteers uh, to be mentors? Yes, we're always looking for good people with compassionate hearts and uh, ability to listen and some time. Um, it's a somewhat extensive training. It's an 18-hour training to become a mentor, but after that, it's about a six- to eight-hour-a-month commitment to be a one-on-one mentor. And again, we match women with women and men with men. Um, so if you're someone who has a, a good heart and is a good listener and um, uh, has empathy, um, you might consider our, our mentor training. We have one coming up uh, later this fall. You can reach out to us again. It's exodus-project.org, or our phone number is 916-669-0611. Very good. And what uh, the six to eight hours a month, what, what specifically would a mentor be doing? Right. So they might take their mentee. It might be they're visiting them in the jail while they're still in jail. Uh, and then once they're released, they might be meeting them for coffee. They might be taking them to the DMV to get a driver's license or an ID. They might be meeting at our office uh, together with me and just talking. They might be texting, and they might be meeting once or twice during the month with the, 
with the participant, uh, sometimes more often, sometimes it's weekly. Um, and then they'll be talking on the phone or texting in between. And then we have a monthly support group for all the mentors to check in and to share their experiences and that sort of thing. So it's a, um, it, it, it goes on many levels, uh, in person, phone, text, emails, and then support and training. And, and how, many, how many counties are you dealing with here? So we're primarily in Sacramento, mm-hmm. but it sort of stretches. You know, we have some people that are north of Sacramento. We have some mentors that are east and west and south. Um, but most of the people that we're working with are coming to the, you know, they're all coming to the greater Sacramento area, mm-hmm. and the majority of them are in Sac County. And does, does it mean that the people who are being released, that they probably are from this area, or, or could they be from anywhere? They're probably from this area, but it also could be that they just committed their crime in this area because mm-hmm. the terms of your probation or parole are generally that you go back to wherever you were arrested. Mm-hmm. So we work with some people. We have one gentleman in our transitional house now who's from the East Coast and has a family back there but was out here and got caught up in something and was arrested and has to stay here for six months to do his, to do his probation. And so we're working with him. He's doing a great job. We got him a job. He has a mentor. He's sending money back home to his family. And he can't wait to get back to his family on the East Coast. But the terms of his probation is that he has to has to, be he has to stay here at least for the short term. So you mentioned housing and you mentioned employment. Those obviously are, are big things in terms of uh, reintegrating into society. Yes, yes along with recovery and mental health, mm-hmm. getting a job and finding a place to live are essential. And, and that's part of the, of, the, of the project as well. Yes, we have an employment specialist. We run four transitional houses for women and men. We put people up for a few nights in a hotel when they first get out. And then in the transitional houses, they can stay for up to six months free of rent uh, so that they can save, they can work. They need to be employed. They need to be sober. Um, and we help them save their money so that they can then move into the next step, the next stage, the next apartment or room or whatever they can, they can afford and we can help them find after the transitional housing. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking of you in the project the other day. I was uh, helping move uh, my youngest daughter, our youngest daughter, into uh, off-campus housing and, uh, at mm. UC Santa Cruz. And... Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! You know, between first and last month's rent yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, the cosigners and and or the cosigners yeah. employed, uh, you know, and just on and on and on. And yeah. I thought, how does anybody get yeah. get housing these days? Both in terms of having the money, and then if you have a felony record, oh yeah, they're not going to choose you when they have twenty other applicants. Exactly, it's unbelievably hard. It's unbelievably hard once you have a record. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine um, somebody uh, trying, you know, trying to navigate that, and and then having a like you say, and I know the uh, virtually Santa Cruz has a housing problem, like so many places do, but. With all those students, it was you know you get lines out the door trying to trying to get in, yep. and uh, yep. like you say, somebody with a record, they're going to go. Well, you know we we have options, and we've decided not to choose you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's tough work, but I'm glad I I'm glad you're there doing it, uh, uh, Seth, and uh, uh, you're making this a better world. Thank you, Bob. Always appreciate your support and always enjoy coming on the show. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Will do. That's uh, Rabbi Seth Cant- uh, Castleman, uh, who directs the uh, Exodus Project here in, in, in the Diocese of Sacramento. Again, the, uh, the film and discussion, and this is really a powerful film, is tonight at St. Anthony's 660 Florin Road. Doors open at 640. The film starts at 7. Uh, it uh, explores the intersection of addiction, women, and mass incarceration. Uh, since 1980, the number of women in prison has grown by 800 percent. 
eight times what it was in 1980, say 42 two years ago. The documentary uh, t entitled, it's titled Apart, follows three unforgettable mothers incarcerated in Ohio, T Tamika, Lydia, and Amanda, as they prepare to return home from prison and work to rebuild their lives after being separated from their children for years. <clears throat> Across the U.S., the war on drugs fueled mass incarceration, separated families. Uh, the, uh, the screening again will be tonight at St. Anthony's Parish. Uh, after the film, two women from Exodus will, the Exodus Project, will share about their journey through addiction, incarceration, and ultimately recovery. And then the Exodus Project fundraiser to help raise funds to uh, run the program. Uh, Bishop Soda will be the uh, keynote speaker, and uh, that, that will be October 22nd. That's Saturday evening, 5.30 p.m. at Sacred Heart Parish, which is at 1040 39th Street right here in Sacramento. For more information, you can call 916-669-0674 or ex go to Exodus, uh, email exodus at svdp-sacramento.org. Uh, it's a, uh, it's in a, a project of the Diocese of Sacramento in conjunction with the St. Vincent de Paul Society. We'll take a quick break back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the, the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and longstanding support of the Bishop's Hour. Hi, this is Laura Lynn, Assistant Director for Lay Formation, and you are listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Laura Lynn, and thanks for all the great work you do here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Well, Moises de Leon joins us. Did Hello, Bob. Moises correctly? Yes, yeah, so it's Moises. Moises. Uh, it's emphasis on the I, Moises. Moises. Got it. Learn something every day. <laughs> where, where are you in the family? Is, that, is I am, that the first name they chose? Yes. So it's it's my father's name. Oh, really? So that's why uh, Roberto is my second name. Uh -huh. uh, just because to avoid confusion. Very good. But, so uh, what, what were we called growing up? Uh, usually Roberto. Roberto, okay. Uh, and I prefer that because, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I just, I, I never really liked to be called junior. Uh -huh, so yeah. I really wanted my yeah. own identity. Yeah. My brother was a junior. My older brother was a junior. And, and uh, I think he didn't like it either. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very good. Well, appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, uh, a uh, memorial mass for the unborn with Bishop Soto coming up. Yes, yeah, so part of uh, what well, we've been trying to get this one started for a while. 
I know during the pandemic we were trying to do it virtually, but for whatever circumstances, it never really panned out. Uh, and then I know as as the pandemic was opening up, it was hard to get it on Bishop's uh, schedule. But we were able to come down to, uh, with a date this year. Uh, and part of this Mass is just to honor our uh, loved ones who have passed away, especially our babies. This, Especially in the month of November, it's it's honoring those who have passed away, especially our saints. And many of those uh, we over-miss or we, we don't think about it, it's those who are unborn. Uh, for whatever circumstances that they've, they couldn't have the opportunity to live uh, or have a chance to experience life, we really want to honor them and provide an opportunity for the parents to actually enjoy that opportunity of offering them up to the Lord through a Eucharist. Mm-hmm. As we know, this first year is our Eucharistic revival year. So we really want to center in, in the Eucharist in that perspective. So one of the things we're asking people is when they register, if they want to provide the name of, of the child, they can. And part of that would be in the liturgy, we'll offer that as part of the prayers of the faithful and in order for, for the parents to, to really uh, acknowledge that it was a child and it was it's, it's a being. And our Catholic teaching teaches us that uh, if a child dies before they're actually born, uh, it's almost automatically entrance to heaven. Yes. So honoring that perspective that they they can pray for us here on earth. So it's an, it's a great opportunity to have uh for our community, uh especially right now with with everything going on. Well, you have the, on the on the beautiful flyer you have that uh the w- wonderful quote that when I first heard it it just got seared into my heart and I've never forgotten it from Jeremiah 1:5 B- before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's from Jeremiah one five. That's the words of the Almighty. Uh, it's, 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 it's a powerful like, quote. Yeah. It's like wow. Um, you think about that. Uh, you want to undo God's handiwork? Mm-hmm. You know, leave all the arguments on this issue out. Just think about that one. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow, that's. That is so powerful. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes we just miss uh, the creativeness and the power of God that he has. That um, even before anything gets done, he, he already had a vision for it. Yeah. For a good purpose for it. Yeah. Uh, for us, I think it's our human capacity. It takes us a while to understand what the purpose of something is. Yeah. Uh, it's until we physically see it. Then we're like, oh, this could be used for this or that. Right. Um, but for God, it's it's already there. It's already there, and it's but basically what that says too is, you weren't born by chance. Mm-hmm. You're not here by chance. There's design, and you have a purpose. That's just uh, those are those are such powerful words. Yeah, I think we, I think I think we need to get those words out more. I I, I think if if I was I don't know just sailing along in my life and. Not you know, but maybe had a have a belief in God, and saw a billboard like that, it would have a powerful effect on me. It just would. Interesting. Well, consider that for the Gaber Project. Yes. We're trying to get some billboards up. So. Yeah. Oh, are you? Oh, that would be that would be wonderful. Yeah. You know, billboards can be can be very very effective. You know, and uh, um, I know they're costly. They are. They are. And uh, but boy, boy, they, they can they can make a real difference, especially um, if, if a person is in need mm-hmm. and they see a billboard telling them like like the Gabriel Project saying, "Hey, we're here to help you. Call this number, free of charge. We're not we're not trying to sell you something. We're not trying to scam you. We're not going to tell you well we're going to sell you this great thing, but you know there's strings attached. Uh, you know we're just here to help you." Um, they can be they can be very powerful too. So we 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 should maybe we should have a fundraiser for Gabriel Project billboards. Hopefully yeah. one day one day one day yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, anything else going on in your office? Well, uh, the other thing that's going to be happening in November is our uh, Rachel's Vineyard retreat. Right. 
which would be November eighteenth uh, to the twentieth. And you've said they've sort of expanded uh, mm-hmm. the, the people are reaching out to. So it's not just. Uh, I mean, the retreat's meant for healing, uh, especially for those who uh, mothers who have gone through abortion or any family member. Um, but we've extended it to mis uh, miscarriages, stillborns, or any major grief. It, it, it usually it's a great opportunity to uh, discern to let God's love flow through you and and to accept it to understand that god's there for you no matter what stage in life right um and and sometimes it's just a great way to um uh, understand or at least have a glimpse of what god's will is uh and where your purpose in life as we were mentioning before he knows what you're you were designed for he knows what your mission is yeah uh, even if you fall down, he wants you to stand uh, to get yourself up and keep walking that journey. I wish you'd given me a, a piece of paper with some directions on it. <laughs> it <laughs> would be so did. much I easier. It's, it's called the Bible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay, Bob. This is this is uh, Roberto. This is this, this is, is your it. mission. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's a human tendency to 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 see or to think that. We're more wise than him at times. Yeah, yeah, so. we do. Yeah, I, I know. I know what you want me to do, God, but I got a, I got a better plan. Yeah, and eventually, when it doesn't work out, you know, then, then you turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the beauty of life. Yeah. You you always have second chances all the time. Yep, and with our church, uh, there's no ends end of chances. You know, it's there's no well. Okay, fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> fool me twice, shame on me. No. Nope. <laughs> That's that's not part of the yeah the, the Catholic ethos, and that's not that's not God. But again, Saturday, November fifth, nine a.m. St. Mary's. How do people sign up for the uh, the uh, oh, go Gabriel Project? Oh, for the Memorial Mass. Oh, for the Memorial Mass. Sorry. First. Yes, yeah. for the Memorial Mass, it's uh, just go online, which is www dot scd dot org slash mass for unborn mm-hmm. uh and then just register how many people are attending if it's your whole family just put the number down if you want to offer the name of the of the child who was uh, unborn uh you could place uh, uh, the, uh the name there and we'll put, put that in part of our liturgy as well uh, it's going to be held at saint mary's cemetery but we're also offering it to be virtual as well mm-hmm. through our facebook page which is uh, formed, uh, fa- yeah, SED formed, which is our Facebook uh, Often Noya, which is uh, the Office of Faith and Family. I mean, Faith and Faith Formation Office here in the diocese. So you could go through our website in, in case people want to see it virtually. But if not, we'll see you in person. Uh, our main presider is going to be um, Bishop Jaime Soto. So it's a great opportunity to to have our, our bishop lead this cause. And then how do people sign up for Rachel's Vineyard? For the Rachel's Vineyard, they have to call our coordinator, which is Sylvia, uh, which they could call the number, which is 916-733-0156. She's the uh, coordinator for Family and Respect Life Ministry. Mm -hmm. I know we have a few spots left. uh, Last time I spoke to her, she mentioned there was only four spots left. So if anyone's interested or uh, or discerning and, and, and being part of it, just give her a call uh, just for you to find out w- what's going to be asked from you and uh, if it's something that it's worth going through uh, this year. If not, we have plenty of other retreats coming up in for next year in 2023. And it's it starts on a Friday afternoon, evening, mm-hmm. and runs through a Sunday. So it's, it's um, Friday at 1, usually. That's when they start. Uh, and it'll be until noon on on Sunday. Yeah, very good, very good. Moises, Roberto, always a pleasure. No, thank you, Bob. Thanks for all you do. We will uh, we'll take a uh, quick, quick break, and when we come, uh, we will go out to break with uh, some music from the Sacramento Choral Society and Orchestra. They are having their stained glass concert coming up, and this is from. Uh, it's been titled War and peace uh it's uh, uh, going to take place uh the stained glass concert it's the west coast premiere of eternal light uh by howard goodell from uh, from england also area in classic style free parking at the scottish right temple right across the street it will all take place on uh, uh 
<clears throat> October the 22nd at Fremont Presbyterian Church here in uh, Sacramento. Here's a, 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 a cut from that performance. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, you can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of, ministry, of Mi Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, they continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. Four six zero zero, and we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. <laughs>
some stuff from the Sacramento Choral Society and Orchestra. Again, that's War and Peace, the uh, stained glass concert coming up on Saturday, October 22nd at uh, uh, Fremont Presbyterian, 5770 Carlson Drive here in Sacramento. Okay. It, it was great when Jim came in to do that with us last, last time he was in here uh, a few days ago. I loved it because he usually brings us, you know, even though it's a it's an audio medium, he likes us to be completely prepared, so he brings us all the flyers that they have. Yeah. And it was really great because the first time in since, you know, twenty twenty actually got a full slate of concerts coming up. And I was it was so I was so excited to see it, happy for him and, and all the folks at the at the society. It's great. They're they are thrilled. Their Home for the Holidays concert is is pretty legendary in this area. People, if you haven't seen it before, you should definitely go. It's and it only gets bigger every single year. I remember the one the year I went, it was a it was a really nice Christmas concert and and it was uh it was you know really it was fun. It was it was great. It was wonderful singing and all that. And then all of a sudden they started bringing in the Grinch and Santa, and it's just it's it's become a an event at this point now. I love the sing along. Yeah, and I love how they you know they don't shy away obviously from. From the religious, I mean, uh, like, like, how do you shy away from religious songs at Christmas? But right. sometimes right. Uh, you you will go to a so-called Christmas concert, which becomes a holiday concert. And I'm I'm not being disrespectful, but you know, and and it's it's have a holly jolly Christmas. But there's no a way in the manger. There's no little town of Bethlehem. There's no uh, yeah silent night, holy night. Uh, Which are all very I, important. I love. Okay. It's also important to have a holly jolly that's Christmas. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And have jingle bells and all that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's so funny how like I'm such a a big fan of Christmas. Just the 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 the, the obviously the religious side, but the other side of it too. That the the sort of uh, the the Christmassy Christmassy stuff. And uh, I took a picture and sent it to my wife the other day. The kids and I were at Lowe's, and there was a whole display christmas stuff santa's um all the stuff up and they had this one little bench between these two santas and a bunch of trees and i had the kids sit down and took a picture and sent it to my wife and you know we're in october and i think this was actually at the end of september and um you know most people were like oh you know it's, it's so early but not for me i love it i love christmas i look forward to it every year no i, I do too i yeah, do too well my, my favorite holiday secular holiday if you want to call it that and Christmas tends to be both, unfortunately. Uh, but that's, I mean, it's not unfortunately. I mean, it's, it's a happy time. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, yeah. But, you know, as long as we don't l really forget what it's all about. But uh, it's Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. Me too. Just love it. It's uh, perfect for you. Food and very, football. Yeah, food and football. It's, there you it's, go. It's, it's a family, really, really a family event. You know, the other um, F, I forgot, family. The, other F, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the really weird thing, though, you know, because you'll see the the food ads, and you know, for thinking it'll have a football that's shaped like a cake. I mean, <laughs> shaped like a football or whatever, right. a football with turkey legs coming out. There are there's like two college football games on Thanksgiving. Yeah, and I think three pro games. Yeah, on any given Sunday, there's like. 18 pro games right and on any given saturday there's about five thousand college football <laughs> games but thanksgiving gets the, the the it's football well it's it's there's when there's that lore of football it's like you you go out during the the you know the halftime and go play catch and you have a football game in the in the you know when i was a kid up until i was probably about 17 or so um we would play a pickup game in the park well and that happens it's with the best what what i see in in my hometown and, and I hear about it from other places too. All the college kids come back for Thanksgiving. Yes, and and they all get together, and th they say the busiest night mm -hmm. is the night before Thanksgiving. Well, it's the they first all time go out to dinner. Yeah, they all, you know, if they're old enough, they go out to the bars and stuff. But they they play a pickup football game on yeah. Thanksgiving Day, just like they did when they were kids. Well, it's the first time they've all been back together since they all went away to college. I mean, you're where you live. Not a lot of people go away to college, but yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's it's the first time a lot of those kids have seen each other since they've gone away in their freshman yeah. year. So yeah, it's that it's that thing you get together. But I remember playing some games when I was a kid. I remember some guys would try to find out a way where we could like flood the field that we played on. So it'd be nothing muddy that day. And, you know, living in the Bay area, it was always a little bit wet this time. You're a little more extra fog. So we got a little bit of wetness, but, um, 
Yeah, I don't want to play in a lot of fields right now where I live. It'd be a little too hard too to hard. fall down. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We definitely have to flood the field. You know, the two great ways to start Thanksgiving Day. One is with mass. Most most churches will have mass, uh, usually relatively in the morning, maybe an eight eight a.m. mass. And the other is the run to feed the hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. With Bishop Soto as the official starter. Mm-hmm. How can you go wrong with Bishop Soto as the official starter? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely, and and Blake being there. I mean, Blake is Blake's one of those people that I think that like if you're up at six o'clock in the morning, his energy level is the same as it is at four o'clock in the afternoon. That guy is yeah. always ready to go yeah. do something. Well, they're 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 gunning for thirty thousand this year. Thirty thousand people. Yeah. So you've you've done you know runs and stuff like that. How does it work? I've always wondered because my my sister in law has run ultra marathons, so you know hundred miles and things like that. It's pretty crazy. She says trail running. How does it work? So if you start. Where it takes you thirty thousand people, I imagine for you five minutes to get to the front. Yeah, I, I ran. How does that work? Years ago, I ran the Beta Breakers. I presume they still oh, have yeah. that. Oh yeah, they and, do. They do. And it, it was it was kind of a big deal then. I you know I was one of those people that would jog to try to stay in shape. You know, right. kind, of, kind of thing. I was probably in my late twenties, early thirties, something like that. Did you dress up by the way for the Beta no, Breakers? No, no. The Baker, the, the, there was there was one. We took a bus down a bunch of UC Davis students and. <laughs> And, and and professors and, mm-hmm. and you know just people from town took a took a like a school bus down there and there was a group of they were cross country guys I mean they were yeah. had, had been on the team and they ran as a centipede oh my which gosh means they had there were about <laughs> twenty of them and they had the costume which means they had to run at exactly the same pace through that entire race yeah and, and which. Might not seem, you know, I mean, marching bands do it and stuff, but the Beta Breakers has a lot of hills. Yeah. A lot of hills. Oh, yeah. And some people just don't do hills as well as other people do hills. I think most people yeah. don't do hills very well, yeah. And, and uh, but but I remember being on that bus and they're singing Cheeseburger in Paradise <laughs> and all these Jimmy Buffett songs. And, but then we get out and they they have what they call elite runners, and in some that right. have come from from far away, maybe they were even paid to come. Okay, you know, and they put them up at the the front. Probably there's probably a couple hundred of them. And those are the folks that are looking to qualify. Like like if you run the CIM, you're looking to qualify for Boston for and whatever. Boston okay, or, or for the Olympics. Yeah, you know? I mean, right, right. At least have a, a time that gets you into the Olympic trials. Okay, and and so they're in the front, and I remember it, it, it's like it is it's like a giant. Like a giant centipede, the whole race, it starts to move, but you haven't moved. Yeah. You haven't moved. You haven't moved. And about half an hour later, we start to move very slowly. I mean, you, you yeah. had to go slowly because there were so many people. And at some point, the guy I was running next to, complete stranger, said, that's the starting line. <laughs> we just crossed the starting line. Oh, so you didn't even know. So not only... Were you way behind? Uh, way, I mean, you're not trying to win the race, but but you're way behind. You're running an extra distance because right. you have now just reached the starting line, right? Because maybe the maybe the 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 line is two miles long, and so you've you've I think it was six point eight miles was the run or seven point eight something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's a it's and a then, weird number for beta breakers. Yeah, and then and then you add two more miles. So. And, and so how do they pace you if like you are trying to qualify? Because I know some people try to qualify for Boston to run CIM, and they're yeah, not starting in the front. The beta breakers are just a lark. Yeah, no, it's I understand a, that. But but CIM and those, yeah, they, they have huge turnouts. Yeah. Um, so how do they do that? But they 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 put the elite runners where they're. You know, but if you're not elite, like, do they give you like a, a leeway? Like, okay, you crossed well, well, now. You'd have, you'd have to, you'd have to convince them that you. You deserve to be up there. Oh, okay. Because once you're not in that level, you're not going to qualify for yeah. the Olympic trials. Well, I know my, my sister-in-law, she qualified for Boston. Yeah. The last CAM, she did that. And for those who don't know, the Beta Breakers was a big event in the Bay Area because it was that it was a run in, in San Francisco. And it was, it, was like, it was a weird mix of a serious run and a San Francisco themed like let's dress up and have fun. Yeah. Seeing so people dress before, up like chickens and before jogging kind of took over the world. There was <laughs> in the maybe eighties or something. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Before that. And it was uh but yeah. And and, and you would see all the great churches in San Francisco. You mm-hmm. go by Grace Cathedral and um, you go by, you know, the, the Saint Mary's, you go by just just a lot of the great churches. It ends in Chrissy Field, right? 
I believe it was Christie Field. Yeah. yeah, it's right there by the Presidio. Yeah. I, at the, I wasn't paying yeah. much attention by the time it, <laughs> time it ended. The hills. Yeah, the hills. The hills were just killers. But at least in San Francisco, you go up a hill, but then it levels off at the intersection. Yeah. And then you go up another hill, and it levels off at the intersection. But hill hill running, and and you you see, um, you you see elite runners that just hills just just stop. Well, they call it Heartbreak Hill in, right. in Boston. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just uh, some some runners handle it a lot better, or more like mountain goats. You know, they just they love the hills, and, and some of them plan it. Okay, I'm I'm going to hang back, but I'm going to I'm going to make it up. I'm I'm going to yeah I'm going to beat this guy on the hill. Yeah, it's like the uh, Tour de France the same way. There's certain guys in bikes that that are just really good at hills, yeah. and they may they may you know tank a couple of the flat sections because they know when they get to the hills they're going to beat everybody. Yeah. Well, the thing about hills too, especially in San Francisco, that people don't think about is the downhill. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, the uphill you're going to get sore. The downhill, downhill you can get hurt. It, you can get hurt. You get shin splints. Oh yeah. You could t- twist an ankle real easy. If you have a bad knee, yeah. believe me, I've got both my ACLs have been torn in the past. I've had meniscus surgeries on both my knees, things like that. I can go uphill pretty well, but going downhill, it's like <laughs> I feel like I'm walking on ice. So every uh, step is like, careful, careful. <laughs> you know, before we came in today, I ran across this story. Archaeological digs in the Pacific Northwest uncover Catholic artifacts. They're finding in the Pacific Northwest in digs. You know, they're digging for dinosaurs and ancient species of crab and yeah. clams. They found rosaries. Wow. Just, that's I'm interesting. Looking, I wish people could at, see the picture. That's I'm interesting. I'm looking at this. I wish we. I wish we could show this. It's fascinating. It says archaeological dig at Fort Vancouver, Oregon. Well, there's your first mistake. Fort Vancouver is actually in Washington, but that's right across the river from. Oregon. You can't expect everybody to have the same knowledge of the Pacific Northwest <laughs> that you have. Have <laughs> uncovered a trove of Catholic artifacts like this rosary from the earliest days of the church, in. The Pacific Northwest. This is from Catholic News Service, out of out of Portland. Um, uh, Oregon's rich Catholic history begins a few miles north in what was then Oregon Country, and is now is Washington State. Well, they got it right in the story; they just did not in the photo. Archaeological digs at Fort Vancouver, Washington, there you have go. uncovered there you a trove go. of Catholic artifacts from the earliest days of the Church, Pacific Northwest, including a crucifix, rosary beads. And a miraculous medal, all from the 1840s. The finds are remarkable, said Megan Huff, a curator at the Fort Vancouver National Historical Site. Most items found underground that are part of the archaeological record are things that were discarded. For example, broken dishes or leftover bones from a meal. Uh, and she's talking to the Catholic Sentinel. Our good friend Ed Langua was mm-hmm. a great reporter, a great editor of the, uh, that's the newspaper of the Archdiocese of Portland. But these religious items were precious to their owners and are more likely to have been carefully kept and lost accidentally, making them rarer finds. Um, uh, all the same, the fi- finds didn't surprise Huff, who said religion has been such an important part of people's lives. Fort Vancouver also uh, boasts other precious Catholic artifacts, including a papal bull, a crucifix, and reliquary from Pope Gregory XVI. These were gifts to Dr. John McLaughlin, the Catholic man named Father of Oregon by the Oregon State Legislature in 1957. The reliquary contains bones of two of Canada's most important martyrs, Jesuit fathers Jean de Brebeuf and Gabriel Lalamont, missionaries killed in the late 1640s. In the centenary, the 100th anniversary history of the Portland Archdiocese, published by the Catholic Sentinel in 1939, McLaughlin was described as one of nature's noblemen in every sphere of life and of commanding presence, strict integrity, sound judgment, and correct principles of justice. The Sentinel, Sentinel, the Archdiocese of Portland newspaper, declared that no man was better qualified to be named in 1824 governor of Hudson Bay's Northwest Post. That's uh, up in Canada. McLaughlin was born in Quebec, baptized Catholic but raised Protestant, returned to the Catholic Church in his later years, and he built Fort Vancouver and opened it in 1825. Wow, this is, Gabe, I've been, I've been by Fort, Fort Vancouver a million times. I think maybe one time stopped in. Uh, we're gonna, 
Well, we may need to take a field trip up there. Never brought a shovel, though, did you? No. McLaughlin was six foot four, a physician, a towering figure in Oregon's history, helping American settlers in myriad ways, much to the consternation of his British bosses. The Hudson Bay's company disapproved of the generous assistance McLaughlin provided American pioneers and missionaries arriving in the Oregon country. They came without provisions, and he loaned them seed stock and even cattle. The reason he declared was declared the father of Oregon, of the Oregon Territory. Wow. And then uh, uh, Father Francis Blanchett and Father Modeste Demers would become the first bishop of Vancouver Island. Uh, they came to Vancouver Island in Canada, uh, came to Fort Vancouver, which is in the state of Washington. Uh, so it was there that the first mass in the Pacific Northwest was celebrated in 1838. And Father Blanchette would become the first archbishop of what today is the Archdiocese of Portland. Uh, Fort Vancouver at the time was the headquarters of the British Hudson's Bay Company's Columbia Department and therefore more likely to be Protestant than Catholic. But many of the fort's employees were Catholic, as were their wives, who were often Native American women or were part Native American. Man, that is... So these, these rosary was found, they said it was about, it dates about 10 years after the first Mass. Yeah. 1840s. Yeah. Wow. You know, there's a spot up in uh, Calusa County, which uh, it's a little spot in the curve in the road. I think it's Highway 45, uh, right before you get to Highway 20, which connects Williams and Calusa. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, a shrine there where the first Catholic Mass in Calusa County was held. And mm. I think it was in the 1840s hmm. before California was a state. It's just a little shrine. It looks like the entrance to a church. It's got two doors. We open the two doors, and there's no, there's nothing inside except right. a little altar with, with, with uh, candles. Most of them are Lady Guadalupe, you know, the long, thin candles. And uh, um, it's and there's... There's olive trees and orange trees around it. You just pull right off the road, and there <laughs> it is. Just it's it, right in the middle of the rice country. It's a it, it's quite a stunning sight. I love the uh, the the sort of the history of of church, but other things too in our state in our in our, in our country. Because so many times, you know, with with time restraints and things like that in school, you learn about things and stages, and it's like you know, Revolutionary War some stuff civil war some stuff then you know this then that and a lot of those those some stuff times is really cool history that, yeah, well, that yeah, people well, learn about you know you look at some of the old old churches uh, in, in our diocese i mean old meaning a hundred years and and you wonder how how did it come about who made that decision was it a community members that went to the bishop and said we you know we need we need a parish here was it uh, the other way around was it was it the bishop saying we need a parish here um, probably a, a combination of both. Um, and you, you can imagine how much it meant to a small town, even uh, some, some towns, maybe a hundred, a couple hundred people, to have a, a parish established there. And uh, some, of, some of that history is really, really uh, fascinating stuff. Gabe, do we have some more, uh, some more music from War and Peace to, uh, to take us out? Uh, it's it, it, War and Peace again. Uh, the Stained Glass Concert. Saturday, October 22nd, 8 p.m. at Fremont Presbyterian Church. Mass in Time of War from Franz Joseph Haydn and Eternal Light from Howard Goodell. Uh, and uh, tickets are available at sacramentalchoral.org. <laughs> 